Hi, I'm Morgan, and I'm the owner of Jade Beauty Co. in the Chicago suburbs. I have used Schedulicity for the last four years of my business, and I cannot say enough good things about it. Not only does it work perfect for my salon and all the features and options that they offer, but the way that Schedulicity has handled the COVID-19 crisis has just been amazing. And for salon owners or any small business it has really taken one less thing off my very heavy plate right now, and I cannot say enough good things. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everyone. My name is Jerry Natuno, CEO and founder of Schedulicity, and we're proud to bring you this amazing podcast. Hey, hey, welcome to your day off. My name is Corey, and of course, I'm sitting with my best bud. Tell him what's up, man. Oh, man, so good to be back in the studio. So brother. good we can high five. Yeah. Whoop. Uh, yep. It's been a while. It is, it's been a while. You're right. It's been a while. So, uh, you know, we're just coming off this COVID thing, and we've been isolated now for, I don't know, since March or something. So well, for the Some podcast. of us are coming off the COVID thing. Yeah. Some of us are coming off. Yeah. Right, right. Well, you and I, you know, right. we, we yeah. can speak about the table, and you and I are coming off the COVID thing. So, um, so we're able to high five and actually spend time in the room. And it's just much more natural, like yeah. when we're sitting next to each other, you know. It just, yeah, it just feels at home. You know it does. what I mean? Because when before I would see you in the studio, I'm in my basement, like something right about this. Yeah. You know, it's but, a, the handoffs were tough. I, th- I felt the handoffs were tough during conversation. In the beginning, I started to get your read at the uh, at, toward the end there, but you know that's the end. So. Well, I always dominate the mics. So I wasn't even looking for your read. <laughs> right, I know. <laughs> I had to like interrupt to get my piece in. <laughs> true, true story. Hey, so dude, today to, for me is just an exciting, exciting, exciting day. Dude, we're I, honestly, I think we're talking to one of the original OGs. Oh, she's the, the OG, podcast, bro. Yeah, in the podcast world, in uh-huh. the educational world, uh-huh. she is definitely, I, I would say, the OG. The OG. She's definitely the OG. She's um, she. I listen. I mean, as proud as I am for what we've done with the podcast, you know, she she, uh, she minimizes what what, what well, we've I think done. She's helped pave the way for us to do what we do. You know what I mean? In the sense of. Being able to talk to fellow hairdressers. Amen. And um, she, I mean, you know, we're the knuckleheads because we just talk to other hairdressers. She's actually given out really great advice. And, and, she's and the one that's her really space. helping them, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's why we brought her in, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's cool. So today we're talking to Britt Siva. And um, uh, Britt's amazing. I mean, if you've listened to her podcast, if you follow, if you go to her, uh, your BrittSiva.com, you know, she just has so much information to give the industry. And, you know, we, we do pride ourselves on, on bringing on the experts and we do pride ourselves in, in always trying to give back to our industry. And, and Brit's 1000% in, in, in that category as well. Oh, absolutely. She, if you, like, if you go to her website, it's, I mean, everything in our industry uh, that you need help with, it, you can find it there. hundred yeah, percent. I, mean, yeah. I mean, everything I, I'm blown. When I go, when I, go through her her website and all the things that she can help you with 
I'm blown away. I'm blown away as well. And you know what, what she's done that's absolutely brilliant is that she's taken all that content and now she's put it into podcast form. And you know, that's why everybody in the entire industry listens to our podcast because it's just information overload. And what what really blows me away is that usually you see big companies putting out that type of material, right? And you know, I'm not saying she's 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 rolling solo. I know she has a team, but it it's you know, relatively small compared to some of these big corporations, and and she's able to make an impact like this in our industry. Yeah, it, uh, yeah, that's great. I can, actually, I want to talk about that, so I don't want I don't put my opinion in there. Right. You yeah, know, you know what I mean. <laughs> so let's go ahead and bring her in, shall we? Yeah. So, Miss Britt Siva, welcome to your day off. Guys, that was the most. First of all, thank you so much for having me here. That was the most humbling introduction speech I've ever heard somebody say about me. That was amazing. Thank you. And do you know what? When I started educating and and decided to kind of step into the industry in this way, I hoped to find amazing people like you two. And, And I really, I always dreamed it would be possible that we could elevate the way the industry speaks and thinks and learns beyond what big brands are able to bring. So to hear to hear you say that and to watch what you've created, it just, it warms my heart. It gives me so much hope and excitement for what's yet to come in the industry. I think that's an OG endorsement we just got there, Tony. I think so. <laughs> that's awesome. But we'll get into all of that. But before we do, where did you grow up? I grew up in a very teeny tiny beach town. It's called Half Moon Bay. It's just south of San Francisco. It's a town at the time it was population, I think 7,500. And now it's about um, 13,000. So really just teeny tiny Bay Area um, community. That sounds and the, so exotic, Half Moon Bay. Grew up in Half Moon Bay. You know what I mean? Like a, yes. It sounds very exotic. It's a little farming town. So I'm glad it sounds cooler than it is. That's good. Right. That's awesome, man. So you spent your whole, your whole life there growing up? More or less. I mean, I fast forward a little bit. I was born, um, I'm, I've always been in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was born um, in Menlo Park, California. I grew up in Half Moon Bay. So I went to elementary school through high school out here. I'm actually back here now. So we moved, we moved back to our hometown about two and a half years ago. But from the time I was 21 to um, just about two and a half years ago, we were living in the Silicon Valley. So we moved to San Jose before Facebook, before the Gram, before Apple, Google, everything really blew up and, and it became the tech space. We were living in, out in Silicon Valley and that's where I was, did hair for a couple of years. That's awesome. How did, how did you, uh, how'd you find our industry? Um, do you know what? It's such a silly story. So I was working corporate. I was working at a hotel in sales and marketing and, uh, when I was about 20. And I was fast-tracked there. They saw really a potential in me as a young person. And so they started kind of paving this way for me. And I felt I felt very controlled. It was like I knew I could do well. It wasn't a question of that. It was I didn't like that I was somebody else's pawn. It didn't feel good to me. And so I thought, what can I do to become self-made? That is a word that has resonated with me for as long as I can remember. And I was like, well, I love going to the salon. Hairstylists seem to have it all. I'll just do that. And it was like a midnight decision. I'm going to go to cosmetology school. And my, my boyfriend at the time, now my husband thought I was crazy. My friends thought I was crazy. The old stigma of, you know, the broke hairdresser, beauty school mm-hmm. dropout. And it had seemed like I had had it all and was giving everything up. But for me, it was like, oh, no, this is going to be like step one of this, this beautiful new adventure. And I loved the industry. And I, I still do. I just think that our industry attracts the best human beings. And I wanted to be surrounded by like amazing men and women every day. So I was like, well, if I can go to beauty school, be creative all the time and be surrounded by good people. Why the heck not? What else would I do? I mean, it was that that was my decision making process. Wow. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Yeah. How long did it take you to get through school? 
Because in California, uh, I think like 2,000 hours or something. 1,600. I think we're like the second or third most hours you have to have. So it took me uh, 14 months, I think, something like that, um, consecutively. So I went I went through summer. Um, and I had a little two-year-old daughter at home during the time. Oh, and wow. Mm-hmm. And so, so I wanted to fast track it. I was like, I got to get through school. I went into an assisting program right after I graduated. Um, I was totally the naive beauty school attendant where I thought, you know, I would be able to rent a booth straight out of school and make a hundred thousand my first year out, you know, mm-hmm. all of those things that we all think are possible. Um, and once I realized I couldn't, I went into an assisting program, a great one. Um, and I refined my skills for about a year before taking my first clients. And it was funny because as soon as I earned that chair, I really started falling out of love with, with the work. Um, I was never really, I was never strong at cutting hair ever. Mm-hmm. I could formulate, I understood the science behind it, but it, 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 that passion for actually doing hair wasn't there for me. I found my rush in marketing, in attracting clients, in uh, networking and making connections, asking for referrals. That to me was like sexy and exciting and fun. The actual cutting and coloring, I, I didn't have the skill or the passion to take it that far. But what was amazing is that I was building a clientele on my heinous haircuts, like the worst, (laughs) like so bad, but it was working. And I was like, this is crazy. And it made me realize like so much of this industry is a marketing game. And if I can really figure out how to play, this could be huge. Before we, we're about to steer off here a little bit, but I'm going to rewind you a little bit. So when you got out of school and realized that you couldn't necessarily rent a booth and make the hundred thousand that first year. Did you ever second guess yourself when you went to, to start to apprentice that were, did anything kind of creep into your mind? Like maybe everybody was right. Or, or did you always knew that you're, you're going to make this a success? You know, I'm one of those weirdos where when you tell me I can't do something, I want to do it 10 times harder. And so for all of the people who told me I was an idiot for going to cosmetology school, I was like, just wait for it. And and I, I have always had the patience to know that sometimes you have to dedicate some time or put in some hours or make some sacrifice to get to where you're going. And so if, if being an assistant was a sacrifice temporarily, I was I was okay with that. That was okay for me. It, it really did feel like the next logical step. For all those young people listening, yeah, be patient see in the distance don't look right you know what's directly in front of you because you know it, it will discourage you if you do that look in the distance and you'll be okay and you can definitely be that hundred thousand dollar hairdresser yeah do you, do you guys hear that a lot like new hairstylists who are like you know it's not happening fast enough it's almost like that they expect to to hit the lottery six Brit, months hear into it, the i lived it right yeah. i mean I, you know I, i've tried to quit this industry a handful of times you know what i mean so i i think that i think that that's very normal we see it all the time i mean you know now that we're in a studio suite we don't you know your interaction with young hairdressers isn't quite the way that it was when we were in a commission salon but certainly in the commission salons it was almost a daily thing and 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 i was very fortunate where i could mentor a bunch of young hairdressers so you know i was able to hear those stories and those struggles and and, and that kind of stuff so um you know, I just, I, I think it's the one thing, you know what, it's not our industry. I think it's just life. I think there's, there's just many times, am I on this right path? Am I on the right path? Am I on the right path? And, and, and until you kind of figure that out, um, then, it, you know, it is, I just think that's, I think that that's what, it's just being young, you know, very, very few of us figure it out all the way through and, and, and have that big picture. Like, like you mentioned, I mean, you had, you had the big picture um, on there. Well, right. At least you knew what, satisfied you right you knew yeah. uh what what kind of like inspired that that drive so you know you, you didn't waste any time 
<laughs> hey, did you have a um? Did you have a marketing background when you worked at the hotels and stuff? Were you were you you were in marketing there, so you kind of had an understanding. Yeah, and that, and that was such a gift and a blessing. I was in sales and marketing there, and listen, I was like the grunt. I was they called me a coordinator, but I was essentially the administrative assistant for all of the other sales managers. But I was very fortunate to 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 have them take me under their wing. And I'm also somebody, even when I was an assistant, like if I'm mixing your color, I'm there to learn. Like I'm not a robot just putting, you know, bottles in a bottle. I want to learn why are you adding, you know, six NA to that? Why, why are we doing it this way? And so even when I was working in sales, I wanted to know the why I, I just see life as like this education journey. And in everything I do, I'm trying to I'm trying to use it to better myself. So in those couple of years in sales and marketing there, I, I really understood some key concepts from the time I was very young. And that's 100% set the foundation for what I do today. That's so cool. Yeah, And it, it does relate in the sense of, you know, it's it's the service industry, right? Yeah. So the hotels, yeah. you know, it just, uh, it, it's all wrapped around your customer. You know, how can mm-hmm. we... Uh, be more desirable. How can we please? How can we serve? You know that particular client the best we can. That's okay. it, man. So you, uh, so you worked in the salon and then you did the assistant. What, what did you get? You know, you got on the floor and 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 what was what was the big takeaway? Like you were saying, like listen, I'm not the great of a technical hairdresser. Like what was what was the marketing tricks to that? Um, so I, I started taking clients in 2008. So up until now, I said it was our most recent U.S. economic recession, but it was, you know, the recession that happened just over a decade ago. And during that time, I watched seasoned stylists just decide it had become too hard. You know, it was like they were there behind the chair when when the getting was good and when clients were coming in fairly easily and it didn't feel like they had to work so hard. And as soon as social media started coming into play and Clients were starting to feel a little bit more nervous about spending money. A lot of seasoned people bounced. They were like, this is not worth it for me. And that to me was a huge red flag. I was like, man, if these people are running such a fragile business model that a little blip in the road is going to make them throw everything out the window, we're missing something here. And so I started to really look at why somebody would choose to um, be referred to a stylist. What would make somebody leave their existing stylist to come and see somebody new? I always say like working with a stylist is almost like entering into a marriage and that marriage is all good until until the client gets a wandering eye. And then they start looking around to see who else might be out there. It's like, where did the marriage fail? What happened between that stylist and that client to make that client start to look elsewhere for a new stylist? And I said, if I could figure that out, that break point, how stylists can attract clients who were happy seeing somebody else. And if I can bring them into my chair, I'm going to win this game. And that became the game for me that I was determined to win. So I started seeing all these cracks in the relationship when clients don't feel appreciated. How can I gain other stylist clients to come sit in my chair? Even though I give horrible haircuts, I'm rookie of the year. I don't have 15 years of experience like these other people, yet these clients want to sit with me. And it was about guest experience, making them feel loved, nurturing that relationship. And that became my game. I was like, if I can love on these guests better than any seasoned stylist, I'm going to win. And it ended up that I was right. I was able to devour clientele of really seasoned stylists because I was willing to care for their clients in a way that they had just decided they were over. And it was a game changer. How, how are you caring for them? 
Um, a lot of it was communication and a lot of it was communication between visits. And so this was pre-social media. So this is before you could just DM them on the gram or anything like that. I was the, the handwritten note writing queen. If somebody came in and they said they were celebrating their son's birthday in two weeks, I would drop a, a birthday card for the son into the mail for the month. Like, hey, I know your son's birthday is coming up. Pass this on to him for me. Hope you guys have an amazing time celebrating his birthday. I get three referrals because what stylist is doing stuff like that? I just found gaps and I doubled down on it. And it's like, that's how, that's how the word of mouth started for me. Wow. That's incredible. Cause everybody, you know, uh, sometimes I'll get a card at the shop and I'm the, uh, hairdresser, right. I'll get a card at the shop and like, wow, that's, you know, for them to take the time out to send me that card, that is something special. That's sweet. You know what I mean? And, and it's very thoughtful. So as a hairdresser, sending that out to your client, I mean, it, it's, got to even feel even better i would think you know what i mean that's that's amazing and it's funny though because now that we're you know now that we're coming off the covid thing and you know our our point our appointments are are, aren't readily available you know the first ones you're going to fit in are right you know the ones that you're going to squeeze in are the i mean it's the same game right the those that send the cards those that you know you know just even reached out to you you know you're like okay they're just they're just a priority. It's not really a game, right? It's just you know, it's just normal human communications. And, and those that are looking out for you, you're going to look out for. And you said the key the key word for me: priority. Like our clients want to feel like they are our priority. They're not just client number eighty seven. Like you are important to me, and I'm going to show you why. And it's that once a year you drop them a note card. It's a couple times you just message them and let them know you're thinking about them. Send them, send them an Instagram photo. Like if you're scrolling the gram and you come across a picture and you're like, you know what, this haircut would look amazing on Shelly and just direct send that picture of a haircut to Shelly. She's going to feel like a million bucks that you're thinking about her between visits. It's like the little things we can do that don't take a lot of time that nobody else is bothering to prioritize. It makes such that a difference. That's that so and, and the funny thing is they're giving you all the Intel, right? I mean, that's Completely. just like, like the birthday, the, the birthday example that you used. I mean, that's just normal conversation, you know, just, you don't need to search for it. It's there. Right. Right. Yeah. It, that, yeah. That blows me away that, that, you know, that something so simple can have such a, a huge impact. Cool. And, I, and I think that's you, you totally hit the nail on the head. Everybody's looking for these complex ideas. Like, well, what is the six part strategy? It's like, there's no six part strategy. It's just be a, be a beautiful human, like connect, go back to basics of what we what makes us feel appreciated and prioritized. Like when you said, when my guest sends me a card, it, it makes me feel really important. And it's like, if we can reciprocate that, man, it becomes so easy. So how, so, so, you know, you're rookie of the year and you're, you know, you're taking everybody's clients. How long were you there for in that position uh, before you realized that, you know, your, your, your heart was somewhere else? It was about 18 months and somebody actually pointed it out to me. So in the time that I was taking clients, I had also taken on the position of being the retail inventory and color manager. We were a a 26 person salon. So they needed somebody to order the color and do those things. And I happily signed up for it. And somebody watched me. She was like, I saw you, you were stocking retail in the back. And the receptionist came back to say that your guest was here. And she was like, I saw your shoulders sink. And you said, okay, I'll be right there. And she was like, it was in that moment. I knew that you had lost your passion. And I was so thankful that she intervened with me and was like, you know, I think you have a lot to think about because I, I think that you are finding that your, your love of the industry is shifting a bit. And I am forever grateful for somebody to see from the outside 
what I couldn't see on the inside. And that really started to get my wheels turning about what I wanted to do. And um, I approached the owner of my salon and I said, you know, I think I'm going to step out and become an educator. I'm starting to apply for brands. This isn't really for me. And he was like, please don't leave. What if we shift you into a leadership role here and you can do all the educating and all the marketing and continue to do what you do, but within these four walls. And that was like a no brainer to me. So I, I was very fortunate to have been handed an opportunity like that, that allowed me to, to dig in deep and help a salon team grow. Wow. There's two conversations there. One, two salon owners to be aware and, you know, look out for hairdressers like that. Right. Yeah. And, and take care of them that way. And the other one is, uh, the conversations to the hairdresser, you know what I mean? When you're feeling like that, uh, you know, obviously you didn't see it. Somebody else saw it in you before you saw it, but uh, you know, be aware, try to be in tune to that if you can be. And, and you know what I mean? Look for other avenues. Even if you love the hair industry, might not love what you're doing. There's op- other opportunities in this industry for you to shine. It's such a good point. And that's one of my favorite things about this industry is there are, so many, so many doors that you can open, so many things that you can dabble in. And let's say you become an educator and then decide you hate it. You can still go back behind the chair and and you can continue to morph and and respect this as the journey that it is and, and take life as it comes and just explore the industry and see what really lights you up. That's amazing. So what, so did, did, did your owner hold you in the salon? And I don't mean that in a negative, but, but he was like, Hey, you know, let, let's do all this stuff within these four walls. So did you do that for a while before you expanded outside the walls? I did for a really short time. So I was just working as the, the director of my salon from 2000 and, end of 2009 to early 2012. And another salon owner actually reached out to my salon owner and said, and I appreciate that she did it this way. She said, is there any way we could um, consult with Brit and just see what she's doing for you guys? They could see externally what we were doing marketing wise. She reached out to my owner and said, well, how the heck are you doing all this? And he said, well, I'm not doing any of it. Brit is if you'd like, I can set up a consultation with you guys. And so he very graciously allowed me to start kind of spilling our secrets and talk about what I was doing. And, and this coaching career for me grew very organically from there. I helped one salon owner who told a friend who told somebody else. Um, And it was in that moment that I realized what felt simple to me was like Everest to so many salon owners because there was this tremendous lack of business education. Everybody's teaching color. Everybody's teaching cuts. Everybody's teaching blowouts and all these things that are very important. But it's like, where's the super solid business education? There was none. And because I had worked in sales and marketing, like you said, and and it was the, the piece that lit my soul on fire, it was very easy for me to speak to it. And it was like, once the ball started rolling, it was all downhill from there. And you get this thing in, in the industry that you... Yes. What were you, uh, when you were coaching for your original salon, were you still working behind the chair as well? Or were you just, you were just on like, you know, management and, and, and marketing? That was it. It was like lights on, lights off. Once he had invited me to step away from the chair, I said, if I'm going to stay in the salon, I'm not doing hair. If you want me to do hair, I'm just going to go educate for somebody else. And he was like, nope, that's totally fine. You can just fully step away. I, I don't mean to kind of be a, a, a pain and this is always a difficult no. conversation, but like, how was it negotiating a, a um, some money, you know? Because you're going from a commission base to where, you know, I, I assume you were making somewhere between 40 and 60 percent to to, OK, well, now she's not bringing income into the salon necessarily. But I mean, obviously, we know that you were through the marketing stuff, but you know what I'm saying? Like, like, how did you how did you negotiate your side of it or, or did he just offer you something that was it? 
Can I tell you, I love that you asked that because I try to explain this to people because it is such a hard concept to grasp, I think, is that I now became a non-income producer traditionally to exactly what you said. I'm not generating any revenue directly for the business. Everything is indirect, right? If my marketing hits, we make more money. If it misses, we lose. I was like a big gamble. And um, I was making 36% commission at the time, which is wild, but I was so happy to be there. So it worked. We were a 26 person commission only salon at the time. And it was a revenue machine. There was plenty of profit in the business. And I like to share that too, because I think there's this misconception that it's impossible to have a highly profitable salon our salon was able to pay me a very generous salary. Um, I wasn't making six figures, but I was making a very generous salary as a salon director, non-income producing. And we had two owners. Both were able to take a six-figure draw as owners. One of them did not work behind the chair at all. So he's fully absentee. I'm non-income producing. And between the three of us, I mean, we're we're probably making $270,000 a year. Because wow. there was enough revenue and, and our top producers were making six-figure incomes. And it just I, I like to share that too because I think there's the misconception that as a commission stylist, you can't make any money. And as a salon owner, there's not a break-even where you can really make some cash. And it's not true. It just takes time to build that system where it is fully possible. If your entry-level peeps are only making 36%, which is what I was doing, and then your big dogs are making the big money. Everybody can really be happy. It is a possible system. I've been in it and it works. That's amazing. Yeah. I mean, you know, you, you found the formula. You yep, found you the know, formula. Found the formula. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, and, and everybody's formula is tweaked a little bit to, to suit your business style or who you are. But there is a formula if you just go into it without, without you know, a formula or, you know, a roadmap, you're just going to, you know, just go and run out of gas and you run out of gas and then you know you hope there's a gas station nearby <laughs> that's it that's it that's a that's great it. analogy hey hey brit so um what was the conversation like once you left the, uh you know your your mentor salon like okay i'm i'm stretching out here i'm i'm, I'm able to impact more people was that another courageous conversation uh, that was a tough conversation. So before so you what, answer that, yeah, how beautiful of of a salon owner to to say, you know what, I'm not going to hoard her all to my own. Yeah, 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 no doubt. You know I mean, mean so kudos that's to, to be you, applauded. Yeah, yeah, kudos to those guys allowing you to be able to mentor and and coach other salons that are obviously going to be competition, right? Which is great because if we can take care of each other like that, it's just, it, it's just, we're all going to elevate like we talked about earlier, but go ahead. So uh, now let's talk, rock. let's yeah. talk about when you broke his heart. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. First of all, I totally agree. I believe there is no competition. Competition is perceived. You guys, as in, I can't compete with you guys. Like I'm not going to have your personality. Your clients would never love me the way that they love you. We are all so individually empowered to be amazing. And I did work for a salon owner who was able to see that. They were like, they can work with Brit all that they want to. She's always going to take care of us as well. And so we can all level up together and it's okay. And that was such a blessing. So that was in uh, 2012 that started. And in 2015, the owner of my salon started thinking about full retirement. So he was absentee and and he wasn't in very much, but he really started thinking about what it would look like to retire. And in order to do so, he brought in an outside consulting company to see what what would happen to make that possible. I did not like the direction that that outside consulting company wanted to head. Um, You guys are familiar with what I do. I I lead very heart-centered, and I believe we as stylists do this to create big, beautiful lives. And the money comes so long as you um, do all of the things to nurture yourself and your family.
family and your clients, the money is the byproduct and it will just come. Well, this consulting company was very money first. It was, if your stylists don't produce, they need to be fired. And it was just a system I couldn't stand behind. And so um, once those wheels started being put into motion, I was very vocal about the fact that I could not coach the team to these new standards. Um, and it was essentially the beginning of the end for me. Um, I had to decide to um, just follow my heart and stay true to my own beliefs. And so I, I did let him know that I was going to be going out on my own. And the very next day he messaged me and he said, I feel like yesterday was a dream. Are you sure you want to leave? And I said, I, I know that I have to, I, I know that I can't stay here and, and lead to your new standards. It just won't work for me. Um, and it was, it was very emotional, very difficult. A lot of those stylists were very resentful. They felt like I turned my back on them. And that was, that was heartbreaking. It was like the world's worst breakup. Um, but I do know it was the best thing. And I, and the, all those stylists now are doing incredible. Um, but it was difficult, very challenging. Yeah. And, and the, uh, I, I've talked about this on the podcast before, you know, I was at a salon for 20 something years and this guy, uh, was a huge influence in my whole career and my life. And, uh, and until this day, I, I, I hold him to the highest respect, but, you know, when I decided to leave to move on, um, it, it, it hurt him in a way for some reason, uh, that I guess he felt like part ownership, sort of like the styles, like how they felt that you turned their back. And, you know, hopefully that time can heal this wound. Cause I would love to reconnect and just, you know, talk and have, have, you know, just a, a conversation with him and, and, and tell him how much I appreciate his, his influence on me, but how much time has passed? Can I ask? Uh, five years. Yeah. Five years. Wow. Wow. And he's still not ready. Dude, we've asked him to come on the podcast a handful of times and it just hasn't happened. Yeah. That's, to, that's unfortunate. Yeah. Because yeah. If, if you've gone on and you're happy and he's gone on and he's happy, why can't that be enough? Yeah. That's hard. To get to uh, to the point of what I where I was headed with that is that sometimes money is not you know because what you were saying you know sometimes money is not the even though that's a byproduct of what you know it's if you find fulfillment and happiness you know what I mean that's that's worth itself more than than the value money greater. oh my god hundred percent yeah it's if you can find contentment and happiness and fulfillment and you know and, and you're not making as much money you're going to be more happy. I think, I think Gary V talks about that a lot. Gary mm -hmm. V says, you know, you know, would you give up $20,000 a year for happiness? You know, and, 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 and would you, I think that I like what you said, contentment, because I think like, how, how do you mm. find contentment, but not be content? Right. Right. Like, like how do you keep striving forward? Um, but still also be content in your, I don't know if that makes sense, but you know, it's kind of what blew for up me. My head. It's to, it's, you know, it's to, try to lift others up to serve others. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? That to me, uh, brings so much in my spirit that, you know what I mean? And if money comes with that, great. If not, yeah, I'm doing what I, I feel that my purpose is, is on this planet that I'm doing. So I, somebody I'm, I'm asked, good. somebody asked me recently when I felt most successful, like if I, if I feel like I found success and what that felt like. And as I was thinking about if I am successful and what that feels like, money did not cross my mind one time. And it was like going through that exercise really made me own exactly what you just said is it's not about the money. It's about fulfillment and life balance and being there for your family and, and actually spending your time doing things that you love surrounded by people that you love. That's success. And if money comes with it, great. If not, you'll still look back on life happy with how you spent those years, right? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah you're not going to be like wishing that because at the end of the day, you know, you're not going to wish oh, I had one more dollar. You're going to wish like, right. I, you know, I spent a little bit more time with, you know, so-and-so or, you know, I wish I did this. And yeah, it, right. you're right. I, okay. I have a question for you guys. So, oh. so I feel like people ask all the time, um, like, you know how we talk about success and we're like, Oh, it's not really about money. It's about fulfillment and happiness. And I, I I've said that a couple of times and people say, well, that's easy for you to say, cause you probably already have the money. Do you guys feel like, or do you remember a point in life where you felt like I won't be happy until I have the money? Like it's a qualifier. Uh, yes. And, 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 and can I be sexist for a minute? Always. Okay. Come on. <laughs> always. You can always be sexist. I do think and I don't, and I don't think this is like a strong thought, but certainly in my life, I, I, when you're the man of the house, then there is mm. a certain expectation to where you need to bring in some kind of income to, to support that house. You know, I certainly feel I've certainly over, over my career have felt that kind of pressure, you know, now granted it's kept me from calling in sick a few times. It's kept me from, you know, doing, doing a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the bad habit stuff as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. I've, I've, I've felt that way. However, um, if, if you're just searching for the money, I, I don't think you ever find the money. Agreed. Interesting. Interesting enough. It's never it, enough. Hold on. Interesting it's never enough, enough. Yes. It's never enough. It's like this, this moving target that you never actually reach. Yeah. It's the least fulfilling thing you could do is chase money. Exactly. Interesting enough though, just a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, again, as we're coming off this COVID thing, um, somebody sent a DM, actually they didn't send a DM. They did a story and they said, Hey, all you rich white guys on hairbrained um, Eric Taylor and, and the hair industry guys, um, can we stop talking about COVID and just talk about the, uh, about, you know, just, just bring on the people that inspire us in the industry, yada, yada, yada. And it's the first time I've ever been confused with a rich white guy. So I, I was pretty happy <laughs> with being confused as a rich white guy because you know, obviously they don't listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, they, don't, they knew I grew up where I grew up. <laughs> no, exactly. You know what I mean? I, so it was, single it was mom on welfare. So it's it pretty fun. Yeah. But, but, but I'm sure she's fulfilled today because we brought Britt on. So yeah, she's everybody. She inspires everybody. Hey, before we get too much further, Britt, so when did you start your podcast? Speaking of podcasts. Good question. Um, the first episodes launched February of 2018, and I launched six on that first day. So February 2018, we launched. That's awesome. We started, what, a month before her, right? We started January 15th. Oh my gosh, you're kidding. We were right there together. Yeah, yeah. yeah you blew us out of the water. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my gosh, whatever. I feel like we're neck and neck. But that, but that was... That was the time I feel like our industry was finally ready. I don't know why you guys decided to pull the trigger, um, but I had to teach a lot of stylists like how to use a podcast. I announced I was launching a podcast. Did you guys get Same. any of this? They were like, Same. what is podcast and how much does it cost? Same. Same. Well, I think the difference between the podcast is that you offered information. We offered you. you hey, so- <laughs> there you go. There you go. There you go. That's, abso- that's absolutely the truth right there. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. When we first started a podcast, like, what is a podcast and how do I get it? And how, how much does it cost and, and all that stuff? And, and and now we never had any, like, it was time. It was, that, that wasn't it. I think that it was time because, you know, a year before that, nobody knew what a podcast was. So I think the timing was perfect as far as when we started, like, the industry was ready to, to, to have a podcast in their life and, and to start to understand what a podcast was. Um, but yeah, we just start, I don't know. I mean, we just, I don't know why the timing was the way it was. You know, we were inspired to do it in late uh, uh, 2017. We committed to learn as much as we could in two or three months about it. And then we went, and then we went live, you know, and, and if you listen to our first 
I don't know, 150 episodes were really bad. So, you know, we, we, we just, you know, are yeah. dedicated to get better. So you started, uh, you started them, but, and actually, you know, for anyone that's starting a podcast, um, the advice, one, one piece of advice that I give, and I'm curious if you have, a, have similar advice is don't record one episode and release it. Like, like have a lot of episodes in the can because, and be consistent. The two number, the two things that I, that I recommend the most is be consistent. So if you're going to do it every Monday, then release it every Monday. Don't, don't, don't take time off. Um, and then two, have a bunch of episodes in the can because every week catches up to you so, so fast. So if you do need to take off a Monday, you have something in the can to, exactly. to be consistent. To make up for, exactly. I couldn't agree more. We batch record. So I'll record six or eight at a shot over a period of like two days. And then four weeks later, I'll do the exact same thing. So there's always some in the can. Um, and the consistency there, there are, there are no breaks or vacations in podcasting. So even if you are on vacation, the podcast is still continuing. I totally agree with you completely. I don't know if you guys know this. My husband had a really traumatic accident last September and it wiped me off the map for six weeks. I was done. I sent one text to my team and I was like, I'm out. I'll let you know when I'm back. And thank goodness I had done exactly what you said. We were pre-planned out. It was very strategic. So a lot of people didn't even feel it or notice. And that is by design. And podcasting is a lot of work and educating is a lot of work. So the more you can organize and and get in the can early, it saves you for the unexpected because the unexpected mm-hmm. will always happen. Yeah, definitely. Well, speaking, of, speaking of unexpected, like... Um, you know, we had a bunch of stuff cause we were at, uh, we were at matrix destination. We got a bunch mm. of episodes recorded there. We were at, um, uh, ice the next week and we got a bunch of episodes there. Um, so we had, you know, we, we had a backlog of episodes and then COVID happened. And what happened was our conversation changed immediately, you know? So like, we're still sitting on some episodes from ice that we haven't released because we're just kind of, we're just trying to clean up from, from, from COVID and stuff. And, and honestly, I don't even know. And we, this is a discussion that we have quite often is like, even the conversations we had, you know, back in February aren't necessarily relevant in today's hair world. So, you know, do we release them? Do we not release them? Does it still have meaning? Does it still have heart? You know, it's because the heart of our industry has changed since March. Did you, did you run into that as well? That is the most affirming thing you could have told me today because I feel the same way. I have, I think, seven episodes and I look at the titles and I'm like, I don't even want to put my name behind this anymore. And it's not that it's bad content. It just doesn't feel relevant. It feels so empty versus, you know, the reality that our industry is in. And I truly feel we're going to be facing the effects of COVID for at least 18 months. And so it's like, we need to speak to our new reality before we go back to pretending like it's 2018 again, because it's not, I feel the exact same way. So right now we're very in the moment and you have to be so on the fly dropping on a dime based on what is happening in the industry. It's tough. It's difficult. It really is. Yeah, it really, really is. What, what, what motivated you to start the podcast? Um, I was finding that I was very inspired by podcasts for sure. Um, I like, I'm, I'm very into the fact that everybody learns a little bit differently. I don't know if you guys geek out over this, but I'm a very audible learner. Like I liked, that's how I, yes, of course you are. Of course. Yeah. We're speaking the language here. <laughs> so for me, I was like, man, if I learn like this, I bet a lot of other people do as well. Um, and so I wanted to be able to provide that audible education for those who are wired like we are so that they can tune in every Monday, get a blast and, and head off for a powerful week. Yeah, because I listen to an audio book to and from work. That Me too. It's about a 40-minute drive each way, so I get through my books that way. Audible. <laughs> what did we ever do before Audible? It's a game know, changer. Right? Uh-huh. So uh-huh. They used to mm-hmm. send you those CDs. Exactly. I have some still. Yes, yes. The books on disc. Yes, yeah. right. 
Well, before I that was a cassette. I, I've yes. got, get this, get this. I've got I've got a Michael Cole clamshell downstairs filled with cassette tapes. I remember that. I remember seeing that. Yes, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yeah, all the Zig Ziglar style tapes and all yep. that. It's like, oh, for yeah. real. Tony Robbins, old school stuff. Yeah, totally. I've got a Tony Robbins Awaken the Giant downstairs yes. on cassette tape as well. I <laughs> yes. no even how to where to put yeah. it. Where's the cassette tape? <laughs> Where's player? the cassette player? Right. Exactly. So crazy. This room just got really, really freaking old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Overnight, just like that. So when you started your podcast. You've already obviously been coaching. You already had the content that you wanted to to, to put out there. Um, how? I mean, and then now you have this podcast. Now you're still developing new content. Now you're twice as busy, and obviously you're forming a, a nice team to to help you out with all this. Plus, you're a, a, a mom, a wife. I mean, that's a lot on your plate. What kind of information or help that you would give someone who's who's in the same kind of not necessarily the same situation but they want to tackle what you've tackled to help others that you know they're a mom whether a single mother or not single mother and uh you know what kind of advice do you give them Mm, that's such a good question and when I say what I'm about to say I don't say it to be scary I say it because I've walked through it and I know that you can come out the other side so when I decide to to step into this adventure journey. My husband definitely knows who he married. I'm very driven. I always have been. And so when I said, I'm, I'm leaving the salon and I'm going to do this on my own, that was scary, very scary for both of us. Um, but I committed to doing the work, even when that meant, um, that I didn't sleep. Like if I didn't sleep for two days, cause I had to work to get it done. Um, our son was nine months old at the time. I believe I missed a lot of that. I, I mean, for a year, I had to lean onto my husband and family very hard for me to get things off the ground. I made a lot of self-sacrifices. We had bumps in our marriage because of it. I mean, there was a personal toll that it took, but my husband and I, my kids and I were willing to do the work and have the conversations and make the sacrifices to, to get to where we are today. And I think what allowed us to stay intact as a family and stay sane is communication. Like I cannot stress enough communication. I heard Shalene Johnson share something really powerful about two years ago. She said, anybody who decides to become an educator or an entrepreneur or a podcast host or an author or whatever, that is your decision. Your family just happens to be along for the ride. So if they express to you that they're frustrated, don't get defensive. This is your my journey. So when they say it's annoying to me that you didn't come to my softball game, that is annoying. And I can't get defensive and say, well, you, you don't understand. I have to record six podcasts. It's not my daughter's job to understand that. I'm her mother. And so it's, it's like having me, me having that understanding of my sacrifice has a tremendous impact and having those powerful conversations around what it's going to look like to get to our to get to our results. And I'm getting much better about taking my foot off the gas. I don't know about you guys, but I'm a, I'm a yes person. So I want to jump at every opportunity. It's easy for me to want to seize the day, but learning that it's okay to pass up some opportunities, as long as you're willing to spend a couple years in sacrifice mode, really doing what it takes, you can get to the other side. So long as effective communication is there um, and you're willing to, to really partner in whoever is in your life to make all of that happen. All right. I, I heard a lot of talk there. When, mm. What's that conversation with your daughter? Like for real, like, hey, ma, my softball game. You know, what's that yeah. real conversation with her? What's that real conversation with her husband? Like, like how, do you, how do you manage that? Because if you're not being defensive, what is the conversation? Um, at first it was defensive. So I, I, I talk about this like I'm an expert. I, I've learned because I did well, it you're wrong. You're an expert on you. Sure. 
and I did those conversations wrong for a really long time. My initial reaction when you say it, it annoys me that you missed my softball game is, well, it annoys me too, but I had to do six podcasts. Like that's, that's my initial reaction, right? But that is incorrect. And I've learned that through lots of self-work. Um, but I'll say to her now, you're right. I should have been there. And I'm going to make sure that I sit back down and look at my schedule. And if, if me being at your softball games is important to you, then it's important to me. And let's figure out how we're going to make that possible. And I've learned. So I've said to her, like, if by chance I do have to miss a game, how do you want me to communicate that to you? And even in saying that, like, how do you want this to look? And allowing that to be her power and allowing her to tell me what she needs has been everything. She'll, she'll say, I want to know a couple weeks in advance that you're not going to be there. And I want you to follow up with me after the game and ask how it went. And I don't want to have to wait four hours for you to do the follow-up. So now I know what her terms are and I can live by those terms so long as she can live by mine as well. So just learning what the other person needs has been huge for us. That is genius. Um, I, I'll take you on, on my journey. Yeah, please. I was about 34 years old and my wife and I, we, you know, we, we're high school sweethearts. So Same. We've been to, we have been together, you know, since we were 18. And I don't know about you and your husband, but, you know, my wife and I, we used to fight like we were 18 years old, even in our mid thirties, you know, we were yep. mean to each other. We were all that stuff. And, and when I was about 34, 35, I decided that I wasn't going to fight with her anymore. You know, I was just done fighting. So um, the conversation that I had to have my, with myself, which, um, which, which goes to, uh, all parts of my life was like, you know, give me an example, talking to myself, give me an example of the time where you were reactive and you had a positive result, you know, mm. and, and, and I could not come up with one example in my entire life where I was reactive and, and had a positive result. So in that moment, um, I just kind of decided that being reactive wasn't, wasn't the best course of action. Now, now that being said, you know, it's something that I still struggle with all the time because, you know, being reactive is a reaction, right? So, but, but, but it's identifying, it's, it's identifying when you're being reactive and, and when you're being thoughtful, you know? So, so, mm. you know, the, 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 the key is, although you'll fail, but the key is, is to, you know, I, I think to, to, to qualify it is you have to ask yourself that question. Have I ever been reactive and gotten a positive result? You know, and, and if the answer is no, like it was for me, then it's a wasted energy. Mm, I love that. Such a valuable lesson. Just that, that minute of self-reflection. Did that reactive, reactive energy get you anywhere? Oh, it didn't. So then that's probably not the path we need to go down. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, how to be proactive to it. And it yeah. just, it, it holds myself accountable. And again, Tony, yeah. I'll tell you, I fail at that. Of course, <laughs> you know, like right. I that not perfect. You know, right. we're, we're not perfect, but it, but it certainly is my, my life path and, and it's what I try to live. Can I ask you guys a question? Sure. And you don't even have to ask if you can ask a question. Okay. Just ask a question. Okay, good. And your guys' professional partnership, have you hit bumps in the road? And have you navigated those times? A hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, look, we've been best friends since high school, right? So we, we, we're we, high school sweethearts too. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> so, so, you know, while we were in uh, hair school, we worked at the same salon, right? And uh, he had the first shift. And I had the second shift, right? So as as you know, apprentice or assistants at the time, you know, you had you had cleanup duty and all that, right? So he would go in, and all he would do is watch hairdressers and try to absorb as much as he can. I would come in, and nothing was done. So my shift, I would have to clean, so I get to learn nothing. And it got to a point where I I told I said, look, Corey, you need to start, you know, doing what you got to do. I mean, get stuff done. And uh, if we're young hairdressers, so of course we're going to be drawn to, you know, the stylist will absorb. And uh, I told the salon owner, I said, you know, 
I'm, I'm going to leave if this keeps up. And probably two weeks later, I left, <laughs> you know, because, wow. you know, I got frustrated with him. I got frustrated with the salon because um, I, f- I just felt like I, all I was doing is, is, is cleaning up, cleaning up, cleaning up and not learning, not learning, not learning. And he's here. He is growing like like a superstar because he gets to absorb all the information. So I, I just felt like, you know, it was best for me to remove myself from the situation. So I don't necessarily uh, have resentment or just toward my friend and stuff like that, because I knew that he was partially responsible for it. So, you know, <laughs> so, uh, but even, but, you know, we've worked together our whole careers and, you know, he's all I do is cut hair and all he does is color. So we yeah. were the, like we made one hairdresser. You know what I mean? And, uh, and just, you know, but through communication, we, you know, just like, just like any uh, relationship, right. You can overcome those obstacles. If you communicate, and, and I find not that... like what I have to say, and I might not like what he has to say, but even in this podcast, you know, if we're honest and, and, and we have each other's best, uh, trying to, you know, help each other the best we can in our heart, I think in the right place, you know, I don't take it personal. I yeah, I, I think I think as long as we trust that each one of us's eyes is on our eyes are on the big the big picture and the big story. That then it kind of removes you. I mean, that honestly, that's been as a parent and as and as a spouse, that's been a big learning experience for me too. Is like, what kind of energy am I going to put into the moments when when the big picture is in jeopardy? You know. Yeah. So if you keep if, if, for me to keep the eye to keep my eye on the big picture, just kind. of kind of re- relaxes me a little bit and helps me not be reactive, you know, because at the end of the day, you have to ask yourself, what's, what's the long-term impact on this? Mm, I love it. Oh, you had another question. Go ahead. No. Okay. Corey, how did you feel when he left that salon? Um, I don't recall. I don't remember it quite that way. Right. Because, because no, 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 no. I'm not being snarky at all. No, I, I, I just, just think it's interesting because everybody's yeah. perception of any situation is different. I always say your reality and your reality are not the same reality. It's just your perception of any given situation. So your perception was different. Yeah. And, and I don't remember it quite the way that he, and not that I don't, not that it didn't happen. I'm not saying that at all, but because I didn't have any emotion tied up to it, his, his emotion was tied up into it and I didn't have that emotion tied up to it. So it's not like a, it's not like a memory that I have. Yes. I remember that it happened. I just don't, I don't recall the details of it where like he lives in the details because the details is, is, is what motivated him. Does that make sense? Completely. And what I find to be impressive is that you guys were able to have that split and you're, you're both okay with it. Like I can tell about how you're talking with it now. It's okay. It wasn't personal. You both were just doing what was right for you and your business and your life. And it, it doesn't have to, it doesn't have to come between your friendship. It doesn't have to be the deal breaker. It's okay to just both make good decisions for yourselves. And I think there's a lot of business partnerships or friendships or relationships or whatever that can't make that distinction. Like it's okay that we both just choose what is best for ourselves and we can still be connected at the same time. I also think that, I also think that, that, that a problem, not a problem, I don't even know what the right word is, but, but an issue that we have is that we shouldn't be judged on decisions that we made 30 years ago. Yes. Right? Yes. I think Mark Twain said it best. And he said, if I'm the same man at 50 that I was at 20, then I wasted 30 years of my life, yeah. you know, and, 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 and it, it, that's the reality of it too. Right. Like I, I, I hate when like you watch politicians go talk about other politicians. Go, oh, they flip flopped on this. Day. And you're like, wait, but they, but that was 30 years ago. Like, I hope they flip flopped on some right. decisions, right? Like, I hope they don't dig in on one topic and live forever, you know, but like, like I hope that there's some kind of, some kind of growth in their, their life, you know? Right. So anyways, I, that, I, 
I don't, I would never want to be John and, you know, like, like every other old guy in the world, I'm so glad that there wasn't social media when, when I was young, because, you know, we made a lot of dumb decisions when we were young, you know, and it, it's, it's so easy now to point our fingers at, at young people that, that choose to post those, those bad decisions, but I would have done it. I of course, of course. we all would have. Right. Yeah, right. Exactly. It's the thing so, to do. Right. Exactly. So, so yeah, that's that. Any more questions for us? No, not yet. Now, that's, that now, now that it's the Brit Siva show, go ahead. <laughs> it always turns into the Brit Siva show. No, no, no I, I like that. it. You know, yeah. we, we don't get to sit on this side that often, so I, I don't mind it at all. Good. Yeah. So, so what is Brit? What's the future for Brit? Oh, that's such a heavy question for me. So I, I get asked that a lot. And do you know what? I have found the most like personal joy and contentment uh, living in the moment. I try not to think too far ahead because if somebody had told me five years ago, I would have been here today. I would have called them a liar. I could, I could not have imagined this. It would have been impossible. And so I'm just trying to be very centered and, and live eyes wide open to, to what is happening now and just serving our industry and connecting with amazing people like you guys. Like I have found the more beautiful connections I make, the more clear my path gets, the more happiness I find. So I'm very happy, uh, podcasting, hosting Thrivers Society. Um, I really look forward to the day where we can educate in person again. Um, but, but I'm a, I'm a very happy camper and I'm just eyes wide open to kind of whatever opportunity comes my way. I love that. I love that a lot. And, um, you know, I, I think, you know, certainly Tony and I and, you know, our whole hair industry crew, you know, we are here to serve the industry. And, you know, that 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 serve that that serving is, you know, just having good conversation and, yeah. and allowing us to allow you to fall in love with this industry. Yeah. You know, and that, that, that's kind of been our that's been our path through this. And and, and I'm kind of glad that, you know, the COVID thing is finishing up and stuff. And we can because just like that woman who put us who called us out a couple of weeks ago you know, again, internally, we've been having that conversation. When do we move on from this? When do we get back mm. to, to talking to hairdressers? Now, again, it's hard because, you know, the heart of the industry's changed, you know, and now with, uh, now with Black Lives Matter, you know, the, the heart of the industry is changing some more. So, yeah, I think that, I think that we have a responsibility to have some of those conversations, but, you know, I don't know, you know, I don't know what, I don't know what the future looks, but I'm very much looking forward to, to celebrating those that, those that, that serve the industry. I feel like the industry is in motion to what you exactly said. Like there is a revolution happening in our industry. It's been brewing for a time and it's at the surface and, and we're going to see a time of great change. And I think a lot of really beautiful, good things are going to come through the flip side of this. Like you were saying earlier, double booking is being phased out. We're seeing a lot of educators who were never featured before being spotlighted now. Like it is a really exciting time for a lot of reasons. Um, and, and to that, it's hard to plan for the future because we don't know what the future holds. Everything is just very, in motion right now and i kind of can't wait to see where it settles ditto kiddo ditto kiddo so yes. how can our listeners uh just fall in love with you I mean, oh how my can gosh they find you how can they you know if they don't follow you know how can they find you i'm i'm brit siva pretty much everywhere so i'm brit siva on the gram i'm brit siva social media on facebook you can head to britsiva.com or look up the thriving stylist podcast love the thriving that's, that's that is, I have that downloaded. Yes. <laughs> so I, I do. I do too. You know. What, you know what I'm most proud of, and this is this is this is yeah. This is a little secret. Tony, I don't even know this. Like on Facebook and stuff, when when you go to a hair form and they're like, "Are there any good podcasts for the industry?" I'm always super mega happy that that we're mentioned. But but when we're mentioned along with your name, like it it it, it gives me an extra fist pump. You know, I'm like, 
because mm, I know, I know, I know those, I, I know that you're doing things right, and I'm, we're very, very proud to to be in the same sentence as you, and and we appreciate everything that you're doing for the industry, and and and, and we completely appreciate that that you've joined us for for the last hour, and 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 I I hope to see this friendship flourish because because uh, I'm pretty, uh, I'd be I'd be pretty proud to call you a friend, Britt. Absolutely. I hope you guys will call me a friend. And I, and I, I feel the exact same way. I'm just excited to be aligned with incredible humans like you on this next phase of our industry's journey. I'm excited to see what we create together. It's exciting. Mm, I like that. I like that too. That note. On that note, it's Britt Siebel. Thank you very, very much for joining us on your Hey, hey, so there it is. Hey, this is a message that um, we've been trying to bring, I don't know, for the last couple of months, actually since we started the podcast. Hey, so if you like the podcast or if you find that it's useful, please, please, please leave us a review, a five-star review on iTunes. Um, leave us a rating and a review. But if you don't like it, forget about it. <laughs> yeah, totally forget about this message. We also want to thank Sarah and Blaine from Pretty Gritty. Uh, Sarah and Blaine, they are a band out of uh, Portland, Oregon, and we just want to thank them very much for allowing us to use their song, Pleased to Meet You, on our podcast. Um, that's cool. I think you can find, actually you can, you can find their music on, um, on iTunes. Peace and hair grease.